Welcome to the Big Kickoff Football Podcast with myself, Roy Shanahan. Joining me as always is Mr. David Bugle and from thebigkickoff.com it's Neil Dobbs. Now Jose Mourinho's Tottenham Hotspur were flying high at the start of the week with whispers of a title challenge from the London club. But within a few days and two games that finished in defeat against champions Liverpool and former champions Leicester City, the whispers have faded away and the sporsy questions are being asked again. Dave, watching the last two games against the top four rivals, how do you evaluate or even reevaluate Tottenham's chances of a title challenge? Yeah, it's just in the space of a week you go, yeah, they're getting very sporsy again. But in, in fairness to them, in relation to the, the game on Wednesday against Liverpool, they were quite unlucky. Like, in fairness to Mourinho, we all kind of have a pop that he plays a lot of uh, make sure we don't lose kind of mentality. But he definitely had a game plan to try and win that game on on Wednesday. Yes, Liverpool dominated possession and had loads of chances, not necessarily clear-cut ones that were kind of looking like a Liverpool, like the usual Liverpool. But they, you could see the game plan of leaving the lads up top, trying to overcommit Liverpool players and then catch them on the counter. And it, uh, very much a could have, would have, should have, if, if certain things had gone their way. So a little bit more unlucky on Wednesday, but then today it was maybe the extra pressure from that, that they needed to get a, 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 a big win today. And it's a tale of two games for the likes of Aurier. I thought he was excellent on Wednesday. And then he concedes a ridiculous penalty uh, uh, just before half time. So... That today was more sporty than Wednesday, if you know what I mean. I, I totally know what you mean, Dave. And uh, Neil, after the game against Liverpool, Mourinho, as Dave's kind of alluding to, had a go at Klopp and, and started... I suppose he stated that Liverpool were not the best team in the game. Yeah, it's it's Mourinho reverting to type Mourinho, isn't it, though? Because he, he, he is... Look, he had a little bit of sustenance to this insofar as, as Dave said, they had chances. The Kane chance was huge and the Bergwijn chance coming off the post was absolutely massive. Um, if they had gone in, we would have been oh, Jose with another master class. They're back. He's this and he's that and the other. I don't blame him for fighting his corner and I don't blame him for being a bad loser because, as they say, show me a bad loser and show me a guy with no medals, right? Uh, or sorry, a good loser. You have no medals. So Marino's a class winner and that's what he does. So I... I'd say he would have thought about what he was going to say. He knew the way the game was going to plan out. I'd say he had that preempted after the game, regardless, come out and go, look, we came to their backyard here. Either I think he was hopefully that they would have got a result. And I think, yeah, I, I think he's right to protect it, you know, and come out in that manner. But it also shows him as a very ungracious uh, loser in the game, which, you know, I guess we all knew he was. Yeah, but Neil, if, if your team sits back and gives away more opportunities and chances to the opposition in most of the games that they're playing, then the likelihood is that you're playing with fire and you're going to get burned. Yes. And you know what? I have to say, look, not just because of Liverpool, right? But I was delighted that they didn't win in the manner that they set out. Because I don't like that manner of football. And I don't get me, I respect it. And if you want to play like that, you know, I understand there's a time and there's a place to, you know, batten down the hatches and hold on and you know, make your team play like that. But it is extremely ugly on the eye. And that, to me, was a victory of football the other night. That The football team won. The team that took 
the initiative that went at them. I thought Liverpool were very, very good. They, they pinned them back. They were kind of relentless for the whole game. And for Liverpool, if you were to flip that to walk out at the end of that game without a win or at least a draw, you'd have been absolutely sick to your teeth. Um, the only time I can remember that is when Atletico overturned Liverpool when I thought they were magnificent on the night and Atletico played kind of the same game. But to be fairness to Atletico, when they attacked, you know, they attacked with gusto. Whereas Spurs, you know, they're just relying on this Kane song thing to eventually bear fruit. Again, as I said, it, it could have paid off, but I'm delighted it didn't. Absolutely delighted it didn't. In the 2-0 loss, Dave, to Leicester, at no stage were Spurs in the game. They looked flat. Leicester looked sharp from yeah. the start. And, and this is not a once-off either. I, I, I'd hate to be a Spurs fan now having to watch the football that's been played there at the moment. Uh, how do you see the, the, the way that they're playing? Because Mourinho is looking at that game and he's thinking the best team, whether he thinks it or not. But I think part of him believes because he made two great chances to possibly win the game, that that was his plan. And if the players had have, you know, executed it properly, yeah. it was a master plan. But And he sees it as his team being the better side because the plan probably came together. Now, I think a little bit of it may very well be that uh, this is with the Liverpool game. It may be that he's just trying to keep the... I suppose the hopes of the squad up that actually you did play really well. Okay, boss, thanks very much. We'll go on to the next game. The very next game is Leicester, yeah. and as I said, they were atrocious. Yeah, and plus, I suppose the other side of the argument is making them kind of comments afterwards almost puts a bit of pressure on them because now they need to. Right, we went to the champions' backyard and we're close, and we're in his eyes the better side. That puts pressure on the game against Leicester because now you're at home and you you have to provide a result. Seen as you are seeing yourself as not necessarily as good as them, but very enough, very much close to them. So there was a bit of added pressure on them today again, and we all know what happens with it with Spurs when the pressure's on. They implode a little bit, and as I said, Ari was superb. I thought kept um, uh, Manny very quiet the other day, and then just the penalty. Seen, I've seen it two or three different times. I was like, well, just explain yourself. You'd love to pause the game and like a teacher go out and go explain yourself. What were you doing there? Like, you know, seriously. And just and then it could kind of ruins the game for them. But look, the whole thing about the whole better chances and all that really went wound me up as well. Just because they had two chances that were more clear cuts than Liverpool's fifteen or twenty or whatever, it's, it's irrelevant. Like they're, it's in the names, their chances. No, none of them went in whether one hit a post or whether one went straight into the keeper's hand. But the one thing about Kane's chances, his went into the ground and up and up over the bar. Firmino's went straight into the top corner, so it's irrelevant. Um, some of the like the, the the what they were trying to use as the argument for whether they were the better side or not. But look, like I said, the comments he made afterwards, in my opinion, would have put a bit of pressure on that performance today. And unfortunately, like we've said, uh, very spursy they didn't show up today. Yeah, I think Aria is he's a catastrophe waiting to happen in every game, and he showed yeah. it time and time again. Especially giving away that penalty there today, but you just know that it's not going to be the last one you're going to see of the season. He will play some great games, but it's it's either great game or disaster. And the thing with Matt Doherty, I know if you if you have Matt Doherty in there, he's going to start producing. He's gone to a new club. He's going to start producing week in week out. So I, I can see that change happening at some stage. You can't have someone like that working so hard and then and having a liability there. On the other hand, Liverpool had an amazing finish to the week with a victory over Spurs and handing out a seven-goal trash in the Crystal Palace. Dave, the question you wanted to put out there was, are Liverpool managing the season better than anyone else? 
Yeah, well, it's it's well, it's not necessarily. Yeah, fair enough. I said better than anywhere else, and I suppose maybe that is the ultimate argument. But I definitely, I'm starting to believe that that's what they were trying to do because one or two performances were very under par and very un Liverpool like lack of effort, lack of pressing, and you're like, what's going on? And I don't want to use the dreaded word of are they tired from either a previous European game or they're trying to watch themselves for the upcoming. And I didn't want to use that word because I just don't think. You can, it, like everyone's in that same boat. But then I was, then when they were tested, or in inverted commas, the test against Leicester and Wolves, they passed with flying colours. So we had a very poor game against Brighton. And obviously last week, uh, Fulham were much the better side as well. So I was very much kind of waiting for Wednesday to see would Liverpool show up because I, I was feeling that is that are they won had they one eye on the Wednesday game and they're kind of conserving themselves a little bit and trying to manage the season as, as, as what I was starting to believe. And then, of course, the real Liverpool, as Neil Aduta and obviously myself now, showed up last Wednesday and very much put the squeeze on, on Spurs and kept them pinned in their own half and very much had plenty of energy. Now, yesterday, they didn't have to worry about it too much because, I, I'll be honest with you, I thought Palace were exceptionally poor at not giving... They, they just gave Liverpool far too much time for far too many goals and Sure, the, the the Henderson goal was the epitome of it. It was just like a shadow play game. It was, Crystal Palace might have, might as well not have been there because they gave every pass so much time. Like Henderson could have tied his boots and uh, then got up and put it into the top corner. There was no pressure on him. But up until get get rid of yesterday's game, I definitely am starting to believe is that what they're doing? Maybe trying to nick the wins against one or two of these games because it's very unliverpool like forms. But then the next game they're bang at it. And is that what they're trying to do? Protect themselves a little bit. I don't think it's down to just purely the injuries or anything like that. But maybe is there a concerted effort to really start studying the fixtures and when to push and when not to push? Because I, I, I don't think it's down to being tired. I, I genuinely think they're having a having a look at the, the the bigger picture as the season goes. And now they're jockeying into position, not sitting top by a couple of points. And coming into the business end, you'd start to think it's an ominous sign for the rest of the league. Yeah, Neil, the players Klopp has had out injured so far this season was made into a big thing. Of course, Virgil van Dijk is huge, obviously, uh, such a, a massive figure at the back. But the other injuries, they're, they're injuries that other clubs do have throughout a year. But are Liverpool just shown now that they have a better squad than anyone probably would have thought? Yeah, and, and I don't just think that it's a better squad. Uh, I think the experience is really, really telling in the in the team, and more so when Henderson is there, for example. They they just seem to be able to go out and go up a level now, calmly through the game, keep the pressure on, keep turning the screw. They just seem to manage the game better. And I mean, this wasn't Liverpool three years ago. This was taking a lot of time when they went on the run of two years ago and last year, up obviously to the end. I think they're just winners now. They have this winner's mentality. They just seem to show up. And it's it's a different, you know, it's a very, very difficult thing to bring into a club like Spurs or like Chelsea. Players that have not won before. Players that don't have the experience before. And I think that's what it's coming down to. When you have Henderson in the middle of the park in particular, I think he just guides them through games at his own tempo. Bertrand van Dijk was a big loss. Uh, I think more so because then you lost Gomez so that was the boat with him so obviously if it was a different defender or mid it wouldn't have been that big a deal Fair to Van Dijk is a big loss and listen they haven't even seen Thiago yet so you can't really say he's a loss um, 
But it's just, I, I think when you're kind of talisman defender or be attacker, like if a Mane or a Salah got injured, it would be the same reaction to it. Um, but they are showing that they have stepped up. Curtis Jones has stepped up. Um, you know, players are really, really grasping their opportunity. Andy Robertson is becoming the leader on the field. You wouldn't have seen that last year. So I think they're not just even managing and, and dealing better with it. They're getting better because of the experience and that kind of togetherness of the team. It's very impressive. Mikel Arteta's Arsenal went down yet to another defeat in the Premier League, this time to Everton, which is now their eighth loss of the season. A couple of stats that came out over the weekend regarding the Gunners. Since October's international break, they've scored three goals, which is the worst of all the teams in the Premier League. Shots on target, 27th, second worst. Shot accuracy, 35%, worst in the league. Shot conversion rate, 2.9%, which is the worst in the league. Now, all these attacking stats are all intertwined, but basically, over the last couple of months, they're the worst side going forward in the league. Dave, are Arsenal in a true relegation battle? Um, Shearer, uh, Shearer wouldn't, uh, when he was asked the question last night, he, he, he pretty much said, yeah, There's no, he wouldn't rule them uh, to be safe. And I suppose in a weird way, for now, you'd have to say so. It's a bit like, remember at the end of Mourinho's demise, the second time at Chelsea, when they were down around the bottom near, actually, if not they were bottom around Christmas time, but uh, looking at a couple of the stats that I've seen as well, like are like um, Arsenal haven't scored from open play in any of their last five Premier League away games, with their two goals on the road uh, since Lacazette striking against Liverpool coming from the penalty spot. So that says it all. Exactly what you're saying there about all the uh, about all the um, the negative uh, uh, attacking stats. They're yeah, you can't. They're they're in a they're in a very vicious habit now, and it's very hard to get out of that. Just like what Neil said about Liverpool and how it takes time to get into that kind of mentality. Unfortunately, Arsenal are in a, a, the complete opposite mentality now and that takes a while to get back out. And the best I can see them doing is just mid-table at this stage at best. I cannot see them getting anywhere close to the top six, let alone any further. It's just an awful, awful run they're on at the moment. Everything just seems to be wrong. And uh, as, as we joked about, even the fans are getting very, uh, the only way is ethics with their fan TV and smashing their phones and discuss that silly questions online. It's just, it's just, a, I can't think of a better word of it. It's just a shit show at the moment for uh, Arsenal. That across the board, no one's up front is singing from the same hymn sheet. They're, they're just rudderless. Absolutely rudderless. I suppose... If they were doing anyway well, that'd be the end of those fan TVs, Arsenal fan TV, and any of the likes. They seem to, they seem to work highly on the negativity surrounding the club. So, Neil, where do you see the problems, and could they be a side that's too good to go down, like Leeds were sixteen or seventeen years ago, but still ended up going down? Yeah, do you know, and that is the phrase, isn't it? Too good to go down. Look, nobody's too good to go down. Look at that for happening to Sheffield United this year. They're a bloody shambles. Um, with Arsenal, I work with an Arsenal supporter, and he's uh, he's always giving me a rundown of the games. Um, and he's he's just in depressive mood at the minute, as he would be. So I think their problem is is that Arteta has come in and he's changed their identity. So we always used to look at Arsenal attacking, you know, fast players on the break, your Henri's and your Perez and this type of thing. Uh, they've lost, I guess, their kind of crown jewel players, and it's you know they were slowly bled out of them over the years. They were taken to other clubs, and they never replaced them. Um, I think their problem at the moment is that Arteta has changed their culture that he doesn't want to concede as much, which means he's kind of maybe playing two sitters or two holders. 
Uh, they brought in Partey, who was a good signing, but they can't keep him fit. I think he'd be a big, big player for them. Um, and he's sacrificing some of the gung-ho attacking that we used to see from Arsenal. He sacrificed that for a little bit more defensive stability. And now the knock-on effect now is they can't score goals. So Aubameyang signed a new contract and then just fell off a cliff. Uh, Lacazette hasn't had a good season, I don't know how long. Um, and he's now beginning to throw in and Keddie and a few of these guys and, and give them a chance, which I think he's no choice. But they seem to lack um, confidence, which obviously you do after you lose so much. But uh, they probably lack leaders on the field as well. Uh, someone called David Luiz one of their leaders last week uh, when he wasn't on the pitch, which he might well be. But if you're lining David Luiz to bloody be your leader, you're in trouble. You're in big, big trouble. So I see their their uh, the mix of of age and experience on the field is not right. They don't have a leader in the middle of the park. Maybe Partey will be him when he gets back. Um, but Aubameyang needs to put his hand up some of the older guys um, and really try to drive that team on because that's where it's gone wrong with them guys. Yeah, if David Luiz is the driving force behind Arsenal, let's hope Serge Aurier doesn't get behind the sports team or their effect. <laughs> OK, during, during the week, West Brom and Slavin Bilic parted company after a 1-1 draw with Manchester City. It's seen them only win one game in the league so far this season, Neil. And does it make sense to sack a manager who is with a team who are expected to be in the exact position that they're in and sack him? Doesn't make sense, does it? Uh, it doesn't make sense. And I think more so, like I've, I've caught a couple of West Brom games this year and they haven't been hammered. Like you look what happened to Crystal Palace there. And I mean, if that happened to a lot of the teams down the bottom, maybe they push, push the panic button. Um, they've actually been pretty okay they seem to be working for the manager I don't think they're blessed with a lot of talent that's in, in, the, in the forward ranks but he has them playing and he has them performing just you know maybe a, you know, a kick of a ball here or there they might pick up a few more points um, but it would be exactly where you would expect them to be I mean I know it's a different league this year there's a couple of teams that are punching above their weight but that's exactly where you expect them to be they're in there with the likes of the Newcastles and a few of them that are struggling Um Bringing in Sam Allardyce now seems very early because they normally wait to complete panic stations after Christmas, but this is the way it goes these days. The owners aren't happy to change the manager. And, you know, there's only going to be one uh, guy in the chopping block. It's not going to be the players. So I guess it's their prerogative, but uh, very disappointing. I mean, at this stage, you, you would like to see him come through the Christmas period, maybe have a go at it and see where he was middle of January. But obviously, yeah, they uh, pulled the parachute and off they go. So Sam is back in the fray. Yeah, and Wofford every year seem to let go two or three managers. They've done it again this year. It's not working for them. They're not doing well in, in the championship either. So I can't see it working too well for, for West Brom um, because you have what you have. But Dave, in what seems to be as much of a Premier League ritual as Harry Redknapp rolling down the car window at the end of the transfer window to have a chat with Sky, Big Sam has received the SOS call and he looks to save the day again. Yeah, well, obviously the big stat with Allardyce is that he's never suffered relegation from the Premier League, but uh, this is uh, definitely going to be a statistic that's going to be up against it this year, I think, um, because they've obviously, um, since we've come on now, they were, they were beating 3-0 at home to Aston Villa tonight when you usually get that first game um, pepping your step when the new manager's there and the players pull something out of the bag and you think this guy's going to do it but the bubble's already burst before he's even got going so signs aren't looking good for them um, 
Yeah, going back to Neil even a little bit, it's just, it's one of them, you scratch your head a little bit too early, in my opinion, like a lot of people would have said, but it's the usual panic that one of the clubs pulls the trigger um, around this uh, time of the season with the January window coming up as well and all that kind of cranking. I suppose these people who don't know football are looking at it in the business sense and they're probably thinking, right, we're losing match day revenue with the, with the coronavirus, so we need to stay in this Premier League for the Premier League money. And um, they're, they're obviously panicked. They're, they're looking out on the financial side instead of thinking, is Billich and what we have kind of good enough at the moment? And they were certainly not out of it. They're only a couple of points off relegation. But bringing in Sam now, you know, one or two of the players might be happy. Hence, hence why they didn't get the reaction they probably expected tonight. You now, Villa are a good side and they're in, in a bit of good form. But I, I, I unfortunately, I'm not making a bold statement here, but I, I definitely think Big Sam is, uh, is really going to have to pull some serious stuff out of us. Elvis, uh relegation. Uh, uh, how would you call it? Escape. Uh, uh, escape. Uh, what's the bag or whatever the word is? Out of, out of his arse, Dave. Is what you were trying to say? Listen, we'll head to Scot- We'll head to Scotland first, just to to split it up a little bit. Celtic won the Scottish Cup final on penalties against Hearts to win the quadruple treble. Dave, a trophy's always nice, no doubt about it. But is this just masking over a terrible season so far for Celtic after beating Championship Hearts? Yeah, on penalties as well. So yeah, without getting into great detail, I haven't seen the game. I read the report, but. The fact that you're going to penalties against themselves, yes, you can hide behind the quadruple treble because technically it's from last season and an achievement like that is special in itself and that's great. But we're into this season now, so that's a bit of a write-off. Yeah, you're masking it big time. Like, uh, as I said, I didn't see the game. Did they make hard work of it? I'm not too sure. But it's still not pretty reading. You expect them to get through that comfortably. But yeah, it's a, it's just a bit of a smokes and mirrors for a couple of days. And... Uh, They'd be seen in a good light for a few days until the next potential bad result because they can't afford any bad results at the moment. Um, uh, Rangers are still spitting out the wins and obviously there'll be a New Year uh, old firm which would be huge. That's a must win. And uh, yeah, it, 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 that's, that's that's the height of uh, what I can uh, what I can come up with, mate. It's, it's literally just a bit of smoke and mirrors for a few days to keep the, the wolves at bay. Yeah, I think so. I mean, they, they, they've won that. They're, they're winning it nearly every year. I think they've won it 10 times in the last 20 years. So it's something that they do on a regular basis. But 10 in a row, well, that's that's really what you're looking at. And, and if they don't achieve that, well, I think it is going to be seen as a, a bit of a failure of a year. As the hype of Tottenham Hotspur's league challenge begins to fade, the rumbles of a hope start to reappear around Manchester United supporters after putting six past Leeds United and climbing to third place with a game in hand. Neil, could we all be missing out on what is straight in front of our face and United have found a rhythm that could spring a surprise challenge or is it just a high side of a topsy-turvy form from Manchester United that they seem to produce? Uh, yeah, it's 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 an unusual one to call. I mean, I wouldn't have thought that they would be in the position they're in now. And I think if you offered most United fans maybe six, eight weeks ago to be in the position they are now, they'd snap the hand off you. Um, but I watched the game there tonight and they absolutely steamrolled Leeds. And I mean, don't get me wrong, Leeds leave themselves incredibly open. Game in, game out. They get away with it sometimes. They don't others. People say they're pleasing on the eye. They're the anti-Marino team. I mean, they're the polar opposite of Spurs. But 
you know, that, that type of result is going to happen to them. I know Leicester turned them over and a few people turned them over badly, but uh, you know, you were very impressive. And I think, funnily enough, we said it a couple of weeks ago that did we know Solskjaer knows his best 11. I think he's a lot closer now than he was. I think he's put the Pogba issue to bed. He's not in it. Um, and now you have the Fred McTominay middle and then you're letting your lads that are gifted going forward go forward and not coming up with the goods. Um, I think for him to sustain a title challenge might be a little bit premature because, again, I don't think they've done it in so long um, and it'd be a big ask. But um, if they keep turning over the small teams the way they are, they're going to be there, thereabouts. So I think they're relying on the likes of Liverpool, maybe even City if they regain it, keep going with the momentum they've got to drop a little bit in order for them to catch them because I think the gap is too big. But uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're keeping a good fist of it. Like you can't argue with that. Dave, if you have to back, I suppose, with your last 100 euro to your name on any team winning the league, surely Liverpool will be the banker. It, it would be for me anyhow, which yeah. makes United's challenge a bit fanciful, doesn't it? A little bit, but it's a bit Kaiser Soze, like, you know, because most weeks we're kind of poking at United and kind of seeing where the problems are, but they're creeping up slowly that they're two points behind them if they win their game in hand. And in fairness to to, to United, going forward, they're very impressive when you have forward-minded teams coming at them because, like a lot of teams, it's buckets of pace going forward and when it clicks, it clicks and it's very pretty on the eye. But let's not kid ourselves. Even Leeds today, a little bit sharper. It could have been a 6-3 or 6-4. They're still very leaky in the defence. Even De Gea, I know there was a couple of plays, but the second goal was caused by a slack clearance by himself. You know, they're still a bit leaky in the back. So as much as they're great going forward, they're still open all hours, in my opinion, uh, in the back line. So that's the ultimate kind of um, handicap for Manchester United this year, in my opinion, to really put a proper, solid, uh, type of push on them so without a shadow of doubt if you, if, you, if you had your last few quid you would lump it on Liverpool there's no two ways about it you pick it on form pick it on the la- uh, recent history but in fairness to United apart from like when it mattered in the Champions League they crumbled it, so far so good in the league especially when it's away from home it's, it's home form at the start of the season that was quite weak but look they need to tighten up a little bit more in the back line really because even today they were still a bit leaky when it came to it but uh, it was definitely a game of style where Leeds suited United's style and they were able to really show what they can produce when the when when, when it when it suits them and, and what they can do. And and the big one for me as well is Pogba wasn't there for, 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 for any of it. Fred was putting in true balls to players. McTominay was breaking through. I know it was all in the first few minutes, but it just goes to show you when you, when, when you put the confidence in, in the right players, what they can do. Yeah, 100%. I think Solskjaer, his inconsistency will get him the sack. If he can get consistent and play the shape, and that's the biggest thing, it's not even the players. The shape today was 4-3-3. That's the way he, he's played, uh, or 4-2-3-1, or 4-2-1-3, whatever way you want it. He has four and a two sitting. That's the best formations he, he's had. When he changes away from that, he he doesn't do himself any favours at all whatsoever he gets that consistency he has a chance to keep that job he has the job he has a chance to to win things but he needs to address that first Dave Messi equals Pele's club record yeah practically every week uh, whether it's him or Ronaldo they're breaking some kind of record but yeah he's equaled um, 
Pele's record of 643 goals for a single club goal-scoring record. Uh, Messi has done it over 15 years, probably 16 seasons, compared to Pele's over 19 seasons. But uh, yeah, obviously he's going to break it over the next couple of weeks. But it's just another tick of the box of, of the ever... Uh, the ever-breaking records of himself and Cristiano Ronaldo and, and, and just how lucky we are to see. Because usually it's only one in every generation, but we're very lucky to have two players of this calibre at, at, this, at this day and age. And we only have a few years left of them, really. So, um, yeah, just another nod to, to what's been two amazing careers. Dave, can you see Messi moving from Barcelona? I know there's been a lot of to and fro and his contract is, is finishing up. Can you see him moving? Can you see him wanting to go to PSG or Manchester City? Or again, is 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 he just going to be one hundred percent loyal to Barcelona now on, on his last contract? Yeah, it's hard to to see him leaving now. I think if any, if there was any window, it was it was it was the one in the summer. Now you can never say never, but the rumours are that the likes of the PSGs and 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 cities are still floating around and hoping that they can do a pre-contract agreement or not necessarily pre-contract but just get something going in the likes of January and get the rumour mills and the tongues wagon but then the other rumours are that PSG are struggling to bring in money to hold in to hold players that they already have for the, like the likes of Kylian Mbappe and they might be able to afford him so they can't afford to keep the likes of Mbappe how are they going to afford um, Leon Messi so that would make potentially City the favourite but you know it's, 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 I, it's very hard to believe Messi anywhere else realistically even though we, we, we had a, an inkling that it might happen in the summer but I thought that I think that potentially the ship has sailed at this stage but then again who's to say but the, the tongues are wagging again but more than likely it's just paper talk because like I said they're the two favourites but then in other papers they're saying PSG are struggling to hold on to what they have so how could they afford them that's it and yeah yeah It'd be great to see him move. It'd be great to see him play somewhere else. I, yeah. I just don't know. If, I mean, they they can have Paul Pogba and if they want to send Messi across to, to United. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Neil, starting from next season, uh, allegedly China's foreign players' annual salaries are going to be capped at 3 million euros, which is 2.7 million, which is about 52,000 a week. And compare that to what some of them are already on. It's, it's, could this be the beginning of the end of, uh, I suppose, the, the foreign players uh, going across, well, the top foreign players going across to China? Uh, yeah, and I hope it is because, you know what, every single one of them that went across there went across for money. So good enough for them. There's no other reason why you're going over there. Oscar at Chelsea, you know, young lad learning his trade, very, very high regard, and he's sold out. Absolutely sold out, as did a load of the others that went over. Some of them were begging their chairman to let them go. Gareth Bale nearly went there, for God's sake. So, I mean, there's no standards anymore. It's just, I, I, I don't get, you know, sorry, I do get why they move for money. But, like, when you're a footballer and you invest your time and your life and your years and your hard work into that from, you know, the age of whatever, five or six, you make your dream to debut for a professional club, you become a professional player, you sign a contract. And then you just sell out on that dream and you go literally playing in the thin man leagues. I don't get. So I hope their salaries get cut and I hope then that nobody wants them as well because I wouldn't be welcoming many of them back. Yeah. So you wouldn't take Philippe? No. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe at the right. If Pogba goes one way, maybe Fellaini can go back in and fill the spot. 
<laughs> well, if he can play right full spores might take him listen league on clubs <laughs> stared into financial abyss after a huge TV deal collapses Media Pro agreed to pay the league on clubs 3.25 billion over four seasons they did not even keep their payments up for four months is this something that's is there going to be a, a few financial problems around Europe especially uh, Dave as, as long as this goes on uh, this COVID-19 nonsense I suppose yeah, oh, 100%. And, and even here, close to home, it, it, it will affect us. Because match day revenue, like whatever about TV revenue, match day revenue is so important here in Ireland. And then obviously the lower leagues in England, and I'm sure it's the same for many, many leagues in Europe because a, a lot of them don't have that luxury of leaning on, on TV money. But it also shows how fragile it is for even the big boys. But that if something was to go wrong with the likes of your Skies and BT, It'll be a house of cards for, for English football also. So it's, it's definitely something that needs to be watched. And hopefully some of these money men have, have football at heart and are looking at protecting the game if things do get worse. Because by all accounts, with the numbers, the way they're going, we're going to go into potentially where the way we were in March. And sport could end up, you never know, sport could end up being put in the back corner for another few months if it keeps going as it is. Um, but certainly... Other leagues are, are, are probably silently in trouble and not saying too much as, as of yet. But that really does shine a light on how fragile football is and how reliant they are on TV. And all it takes is one to crumble and then the rest could fall. So it's very much a, a worrying sign. And if that, that's arguably one of the biggest leagues in Europe, can you imagine what the, the smaller leagues, including our own here in Ireland, is, 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 is hanging on by, a, by their fingernails? Yeah, and hopefully, uh, hopefully this all blows over because there's nothing better mm-hmm. than watching top quality football with the crowds, obviously, back. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, it has. It's, it's, it's hit everyone hard just, in the just, football world. Just to, just, to, just to jump on that tiny bit even, like the, the Fulham-Liverpool game, even though it was only 2,000 people, I don't know whether the microphones are right in front of them or the fact that Craven Cottage is small, but it was the most... It was the most engaged I was in, the, in, in a game since lockdown because of the noise of the, of, the, of the fans and then the fact that Fulham reacted to it and it was like, Jesus, that's, that's the difference and that's what makes the game, even when you're sitting at home on the couch watching, you do miss the fans and it does bring that bit more out from, from the players and we are unfortunately not getting there the product that we're used to and, and it's down to the, ironically down to the fact of lack of people inside the grounds. Yep, 100%. That's it for Christmas, lads. That's it over. Have a good Christmas, Neil. Have a good Christmas, Dave. Uh, Everyone out there who's listening, thanks very much. And I know it's not just people in Ireland and England. It's America, Australia. It can be Indonesia. (laughs) What's in Indonesia? (laughs) What have you got for that? Uh, It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Uh, But listen, for everyone who listens to the podcast, it's much appreciated. Uh, as I said before, we have our rugby podcast, cricket podcast, the League of Ireland one for for any uh, Irish people who are who are interested, even abroad listening. And uh, we're going to build on that next year. It's been a really good year, and of course, the big kickoff dot com is has just on its first year. And uh, get in there and have a little look, and we'll be improving on that. And if anyone is interested in jumping on board and writing for the big kickoff.com just send your emails on messages on Facebook Twitter whatever out there at the big kickoff 96.4 gmail.com contact us and uh, we'll have a talk which uh, we're, we're, we're building for the future and hopefully over the next few years uh, we're going sky high 
Dave and Neil, as always, happy Christmas and thanks very much.